Morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Got a wonderful, good-looking bunch of people here. And uh, you like it when I compliment you like that, don't you? I'll say it again more often. But There's a good-looking crew over at the Gray Eagle. Just came over there with, uh, from them, being with them and having a great time of worship. And, and what we talked about and what I want to talk with you today is about the historical Jesus, the real historical Jesus, and the biggest question that's surrounding him. This, this week is a, a really uh, amazing week for Christ followers. Um, about 2,000 years ago, leading up to this Sunday, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was uh, walking there with his, his crew, his posse, his disciples, and they were uh, walking through Jericho. And as they came to the gates of Jericho, there was a man named Bartimaeus. He was blind. He was crying out because everybody was passing him by. And he wanted, he wanted Jesus. And uh, Jesus came to him touched him, and he was given his sight. In Jericho, is the same place where a little man named Zacchaeus was up in a tree. He wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house and had dinner. Everyone else muttered, oh, he's going to eat with sinners. And Jesus said, no, I welcome a man, a man like this. And um, Jesus then left Jericho a few days later. While, while he was leaving there or on the way, uh, got word from some of his best friends. Uh, uh, Mary Martha had sent word that their brother, Lazarus, one of Jesus' friends, was very sick. In fact, it looked like he was going to die, and so they were urging him, hurry up, you know, don't, don't dilly-dally, get here. Uh, and Jesus did. He kind of just waited. And he knew what he was going to do, but he, he showed up in this little town, Bethany, just a, a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And he gets there, sees the, the many Jews that have come from Jerusalem into Bethany to mourn over Lazarus, who is well-known. And uh, everyone's weeping, crying. Jesus weeps himself uh, over what he sees and about this, this family that he cares about and goes to the tomb. Uh, even though he's been dead for four days, they move the stone away. Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And he walks out alive, raised from the dead. This causes a big stir. A lot of the Jews who were there watching, uh, they believed. They said, this man, he has got to be the Messiah. He has got to be the one who's going to make everything, make a comeback for Israel as a nation. This is the one. And, and so uh, they're excited. But there are other Jews who were there watching, and they weren't so excited. They went back to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, told them what was going on. And, while they were and, and, and when this happened, the religious leaders uh, they, got, they got frustrated. And they said, what are we going to do? The whole world is turning to this man, believing in him. And uh, so they began to plot to kill Jesus. And that leads up to this Sunday, a Sunday 2,000 years ago, when Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem. And all the crowds were stirred up because they had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. Everybody was talking about this. Isn't this amazing? Surely this is the Messiah, the one that was prophesied by Isaiah. And so everyone's excited, and we call it today the triumphant entry. And uh, Jesus walks in, they're waving palm branches, they're praising God because of him. And yet at the same time, there is this plot going on to kill Jesus. And what I want you to know today as we talk about Jesus is that this plot wasn't to kill Jesus because he raised somebody from the dead. It wasn't to kill him because of the good things he taught or the good things he did they were plotting to kill him because of who he said he was. 
And that's what we're talking about today. We've, uh, past few weeks, we've been looking at John, the Gospel of John, in chapters 14 through 17, talking about what Jesus said about the Father, about the Spirit, and about Himself, the Son. And we realize that, as we've been talking about, many of us have grown up with false ideas or false images of who God is. False images of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Whether they've been handed to us by parents or some other authority, we, we recognize that these false images are just too small of a little g God for us to follow. It's not a big enough God because we've humanized uh, God in some way. And instead of trying to cram the heavens in our heads today, instead I want us to peek up into the heavens and look around and see what Jesus said about Himself. So, Today, we're going to the source, and we're listening to Jesus and what He said about the Son, what He said about Himself. What we, what we think about God is some of the most important thoughts that a human being can ever, ever think, because they will determine the direction of your life, the whole course of your life. I believe, Shannon McCready believes, not some other writer, not some other speaker, but I believe the most important question that any human being could ever answer on this earth is the question that Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And each one of us needs to answer that question. You know, there are some who will say that Jesus is a good teacher, and that's it, nothing more. Others say he was a charismatic leader, but he was not God. He was not divine. A few would say that out of anger and, and maybe feeling that Jesus was maybe trying to deceive people, they would say that Jesus was a con man. He was a charlatan, a liar. Some of us might be knowledgeable about Jesus, his claims, and they might say politely, well, you know, I think he was just a little misguided. Little misguided, which is just another way of saying he was a little mentally off, a little crazy. You know, then there are those of us who answer the question like Peter Jesus, you are the Savior, the Son of the living God. And today, I don't know where you might be at, who you think Jesus is. Uh, maybe some of the things I've said, you've touched on, you've, you've thought some of those things. For others of you today, um, it, maybe this is uh, just a message that is going to reaffirm what you think and what you believe about Jesus. And so today, I, I want to say that I, I'm talking to all of you, not just a few people, but every one of us. These are the things that are core to our faith and what we believe about Jesus. Jesus was an amazing teacher. If you think he was a good teacher, I want to tell you, he wasn't just good. He was an amazing teacher. The, way, the reason he was amazing is because he... He did everything he taught. He lived it out. And it gave him such authority when he spoke. He spoke like no other man. You know, when Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, he taught people to love their enemies, something that had never been taught ever before in history. This was a first. This was a landmark, this teaching. And it, it affected people Throughout the, the future, beyond Jesus' life, leaders uh, like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King, who were influenced by that. His teachings have influenced people in, of the world who don't even embrace Jesus as the Son of God, but they still live by the golden rule that Jesus taught. Do unto others 
as you'd like them to do to you. You know, but if we accept Jesus only as a good teacher, a communicator of good information for life, then really you need to re-examine the things that Jesus said. You need to look at what he said was the most important thing to know. If he's a good teacher, a teacher teaches information, passes on knowledge, then you need to listen to the greatest teacher ever. What he said is the most important knowledge that you could ever have. Do you want to know what he said is the most important knowledge you could ever have? It's right here in John 17. And if you want to, you can turn. John chapters 14 through 17. We're going to be floating around in there. Again, these are Jesus' words to his disciples in the upper room before he went to the cross. But John 17, in a prayer to the Father while the disciples are listening in, Jesus says this about life that never ends. Now this is everlasting life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Doesn't seem like that big of a statement, but it's life-changing, earth-shattering, rearranged history kind of statement. You want life? Do you want real life? You want learning or knowledge that is the key to never-ending life? Jesus says that key is knowing Him and the true God. Before this prayer... In the presence of his disciples in the upper room, Jesus started a conversation about the way of life and the way to life. And he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's John 14, 6. That's word for word what Jesus said. He claimed exclusivity. What does exclusivity mean? What he's saying is, there's no other way, folks. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through Hare Krishna, not through any other way that you can dream of or imagine. There's no shortcut. I am the way to the Father. No one comes to God except through Him. And that sentence is a life-changing sentence, an earth-shattering sentence. But I want to tell you what he said after that sentence. Jesus speaks... After this, basically saying, if you know me, you know the Father. John 14, 7. You see, the good teacher, Jesus, is teaching us that the most important thing that we can ever know is knowing Him. That's the most important knowledge that you could ever grasp while you're walking here on this earth. And that is where many people draw the line. They say, look, I'll learn from Jesus what he taught about living, because he taught great principles about living. But I will not listen to what he taught about himself. And what you're saying there is that Jesus really isn't big enough. He really isn't big enough to save people all around the world. He really isn't big enough to be Lord of all the nations. What you're saying is, well, Jesus can only be Lord of a certain culture certain number of people. I just think that's too small of a God to serve. I wouldn't want to serve a God like that. I want to serve a big God, not a little God. But I know that there are others who hear what Jesus said about himself and they bow down to worship him as the son of the living God, Savior and Lord of all. Jesus didn't teach us just to do good things. He taught us that he is the ultimate good. 
that we could ever know. Jesus said that knowing Him is everlasting life. That's good knowledge. Now this is where other people might say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but as a charismatic leader, you know, he, he just swept people up. I mean, he did practice what he preached. And so, you know, people were just caught up in what he said. And so, you know, they exaggerated maybe what he said. You know, he never claimed that he was divine. He never claimed that he was God, did he? Well, that's where you need to really examine Jesus' words. Right here in John 14 through 17, you'll find some words that you, you just can't get around or get over or under. There's some words that are going to confront you here. See, Jesus, after claiming an exclusive way to the Father, his disciples also had a lot of questions. I mean, we, we, we hear that and we go, man, that's, that's tough. What about this? What about that? I mean, the disciples were scratching their heads too. And Philip, kind of in a moment of, of kind of like, man, that's big. I don't know if I can believe that. He says, Jesus, just, just show us the Father, then we'll believe. You know, I, I don't know if I can swallow that, but if you'll show me the Father, then I'll swallow that. You know what Jesus says to that? He says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Whoa. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? John 14, verses 9 through 10. Jesus wasn't just casually dropping hints, but was proclaiming boldly the truth of who he was to his disciples. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. See me, you see God. I am divine. I am God, is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not a charismatic leader. I mean, he was a charismatic leader, but he didn't have a bunch of people swept up because of his charisma who were exaggerating what he said. Jesus himself said that he is one with God. That is a statement that has to be dealt with. Now, this is where other people will say, well, that can't be. I mean, how could he have said that he was God? How could he say that he was the only way to the Father? I mean, that just makes me mad. I think he was trying to deceive people. I, I think he's a con man. He's a liar. He's a charlatan. You could go that direction. Now, if Jesus was deceiving people about who he was, then he was evil. If he was lying about who he was, he was evil. He was not a good teacher. He was a deceiver. But this is where we not only look at Jesus' words, but we look at his actions. Because we know, we know how to tell a liar, don't we? A liar's words don't match up with his actions, right? That's how we identify a liar. So, Jesus even points this out to us. He says, look, Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. Come on. Now when we look at the miracles Jesus did, we see he used his power. Sorry. <coughs> he used his power for others, not for himself. 
What does a con man do? What does a liar do? They lie to get things for themselves. They con because they want stuff for themselves. Jesus used his power not to get things for himself, but for others. We see how he treated the leper. He reached out and touched him, a person that others would shun and not even give the time of day. We see the adulterous woman that he forgives. We see Zacchaeus, the little tax collector, while everyone else says, man, don't go eat with him. Jesus welcomes We see how he treated the thief on the cross. We see how he welcomed the little children to him. Everything Jesus taught, he lived out and demonstrated. All his actions match his words and tell us that Jesus is good, not an evil liar. Jesus was not a con man. Jesus said his actions prove his words, and his actions prove that he is the good God. (laughs) what's going on here oh one more what here Uh, okay here thank you thank you church you're very kind Mm, all right where was I Jesus said, and he proved by his actions, he is the good God. He's not a con man. He's not a liar. Now, this is where others might say, well, okay, Jesus, he just got a little bit off later in life. I mean, these words were said at the end of his life, right? You know, maybe he was just getting a little swept up with himself, you know, a little megalomania. You know, what people are saying when you say that politely is, is, is he had a mental disorder. You're saying that in more vulgar terms, he was crazy. I mean, how could Jesus, though, how could he have a mental disorder and when he himself was going to the sick and touching them and speaking to them and giving them sound minds, sound bodies, and sound hearts? How could that be? How could a sick and mentally deranged person make others mentally well? How could Jesus be a megalomaniac thinking the world revolved around him when he so obviously was other-focused? He wasn't focused on himself. Listen to part of his prayer to God while his disciples listen in the upper room. Holy Father, protect them. He's concerned. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I want the best for them. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Look, Jesus preexisted with God before the, before the world ever came to be. I mean, Jesus didn't think the world revolved around him. Jesus actually held the world together. In him, all things hold together. He is before all things. Jesus wasn't imagining things. That was reality. What Jesus desired was God's best for us, our protection, and for us to experience the glory that he shared between he and the Father and the Spirit. Jesus couldn't have been mentally off and still have the clarity and self-sacrificing purpose to the very end. There's no way. Jesus said he completed all the work the Father gave him to do. Not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Father. That is not megalomania. 
And just as Jesus predicted, he knew his life was to be given as a sacrifice so many could be ransomed back to God. Jesus was not a megalomaniac glorifying himself, nor was he himself sick mentally. Jesus said he came to glorify God and to share that glory with those who believe. He didn't confuse people. He made people clear in the mind so they could think straight. So what have you thought? Have you thought Jesus was just a good teacher at some point? Maybe you thought he was just swept up, he had swept up followers that exaggerated the words that he said. Maybe, maybe you've been angry. You've called Jesus a con man, a liar. Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus was a bit mentally off? Maybe you have in the past. But is it possible that today you could reconsider and examine the words of Jesus more closely? From the chapters 14, 17 of the, of the testimony of John, you can see clearly what Jesus says about himself. He said that knowing him, knowing the Son, is everlasting life. Jesus said that he, the Son, is one with God. And Jesus said that he came to glorify God and to share that glory with those who believe. The word believe is the most repeated word in the gospel testimony of John. John's testimony is that Jesus wasn't killed on a cross because of the good things he did. Jesus wasn't killed on the cross because of the good things he taught. Jesus was murdered on a cross because of who he said he was. Jesus asked us the most important question. It's a question about his identity. And it's still the most important question for us today who do you say I am? And each one of us has to answer that question. We need to answer it. And I want to know, can you say with Peter that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of the living God? Or are you one who would hate Jesus for His exclusive claims and wish to see Him crucified? Are you one who would despise him as a liar or pity him as mentally ill and wish to rid him of the earth? Well, join, join the crowd that was with him on that Good Friday. That's what they thought of him. Some thought he was mentally off. Some thought that he was a liar, a con man. Some thought that he was, he was just too exclusive. And he couldn't say the things that he said. He couldn't be Lord of all. And so they killed him. They crucified him. And Jesus said to those people, you know what he said about them and what he says about us today who may, might be in the same boat? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They just don't know. Well, today, Jesus is asking us the same question he asked, asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? And I'm here to call you as a man of God, to call you to belief, to call you to confess the truth that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of the living God. Today, if you're, if you're changing your mind about who Jesus is, you're already beginning the response that God desires from you. You are, are realizing what is true. 
You're, you're rejecting the false images of Jesus that have been handed to you and instead embracing what Jesus said about himself. That's the biggest thing you can do. And instead of and, and, and changing your mind about Jesus, you know what that does when you start changing your mind about him? It begins to change your direction. It's the beginning of returning to God. You're going this way because your mind, but then your mind changes about Jesus and you, you turn, you return to God. This is also the response that God desires from you. When you realize the truth of Jesus' position and you change your mind and begin a return, your heart turning towards God, you can then receive everything that God has for you. And this is the response that God desires from you. When you hear the truth of who Jesus is, when you realize, when you return, God wants you to receive from him. What is that we receive? We receive his acceptance of us through the Son. We receive a restoration back into his family. We're made sons and daughters. We receive his forgiveness Sins washed away, wiped out. We receive His Spirit into our life to guide us the rest of our days. Now, did you get that? Did you get what God desires our response to be to the truth of the question, who Jesus is? He wants us to realize the truth. He wants us to return. He wants us to receive all that He has. This is the pattern that's mapped out for us in Acts It's how we see the first believers respond. It's the pattern we see in Romans when we're taught this is how we respond to God. It's the pattern we see that Jesus teaches in the prodigal son. You know, he's in the the pigsty. He realizes, what am I doing here? There's my father at home, and I could be there. He makes his way there. He he begins his return. He's saying in his head what he's going to say to his dad. He gets there to his dad and throws his life down before his dad. And his dad, what does he do? He gives to him, and the son just has to receive. He gives. He puts the ring on his finger and says, you're my son again. I restore you. He puts the robe on him, puts the sandals on his feet. He's back in the family. As we approach Good Friday, the day Jesus was crucified on the cross, have you realized that Jesus was your substitute on the cross, dying the death for sin, that you should have died. Have you realized that? Have you changed your mind about the Son on the cross, ready to return and rely upon what He did for you there? What He did for you, not just those other people out there. Are you done relying upon yourself and your list of good deeds and ready to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receiving His Spirit to guide you for the rest of your days on earth? Are you ready to receive the sign of that agreement between you and God, to walk into the waters and be baptized, receiving the sign of the new covenant? If you are, then today is your day. Today is the day you need to make the confession that Peter made. Make it fresh on your lips. Jesus, you are the Savior. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus He is the Lord. To confess this with your mouth today is to acknowledge that you're done running your life. Whether you've run your life into the ground through success or you've run your life into the ground through failure, you're ready to say, I'm done running my life. 
You're ready to say, when you say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are my Savior, what you're saying is that I am no longer first, you are first, I am second. What you're saying to him is that you're now receiving Jesus as your leader, your commander, and ultimate authority in life. You're no longer keeping Jesus pushed out to the periphery of your lives, but you're bringing him into the very center, to the core, and saying, Jesus, you direct everything in my life, every part, every aspect. Nate, I'm going to share this little spot with you. You can come up here and get ready. But look, here's the deal. Many of us really have a messy spiritual past. My my spiritual past is really messy. I wish it wasn't. You know, I think we all wish that it would look like the business plan that we present to the bank when we're trying to make a business proposal. We wish our our plan would look like up and to the right forever. (laughs) But you know what? My spiritual life does not look like up and to the right. Instead, it's up, down, and it doesn't even go forward. It goes backwards down, up again, down again. That's my spiritual life. It is messy. I wish I had a testimony that said, yeah, I was at rock bottom and I messed up and, and I was so, so screwed up and I asked Jesus in my life and just made everything better and everything just kept getting better and better and better and better. My story isn't like that. Yours probably isn't either. Look, I know that there may be some of us here who said yes to Jesus at some point and then later realized we had too small of a God in our head. We had, we had this false image and that God wasn't big enough to follow, so we said no. And we stopped following him. But is your God bigger than that now? I believe Jesus is. I know that some of us have a messy spiritual past because we, we stepped into the water and, and, and we said words about who Jesus was, but it was just going through the motions. We didn't really believe it. We never really had a change of mind, never had a return to God. Some of us have a messy spiritual past because we went to church all our life and we thought we were doing good because we were cleaning ourselves up and doing good deeds. And we had our list of good deeds instead of relying upon Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And, and all of a sudden we go, oh man, I didn't know that for how many years? And now, what does that mean about my spiritual past? I don't know. I don't care. Some of us have a messy, messy spiritual past because we realized and returned to God, but we couldn't stay with Him. We always found our way back to the prodigal's pigsty. And, and, and we realized we returned, but we never received anything from the Father. We never realized that he, he restored us as sons and daughters and brought us back into his family. We never received his spirit so we could abide with him forever and stay with him. So nobody here, nobody here is making any spiritual judgments about your spiritual past. All right? Past is the past. It's a mess. I don't know how to sort out. You don't know how to sort it out. But what I'm talking about is today, this day forward. This day forward, are you ready to say, Jesus is my Savior, my Lord? my commander, and I will follow him all my days. I don't care how messy your spiritual past is. I just want to call you to this day and this day forward. On this day, have you realized who the Son is? Today, have you changed your mind and are you returning to him? Is this the day you're ready to receive all the Father has to offer you and to give you through Jesus' Son? Is it this day that you're ready to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, my Savior, the Son of the living God? That's what I want to know. And this is the moment for us to respond. So I'd like you to stand up. 
And, and we're gonna, Nate's going to lead us in a song. We're going to worship. And maybe you're already there. You're like, oh, man, I'm already there. I'm already there. Then just let this be praise to him, <coughs> affirming your faith. But if not, you're a little confused about the spiritual mess of your past. You just want to pray with somebody and just say, I can't sort it all out. I just want to be this day forward. Yes to Jesus. Then we'll pray with you. I'm over here. Jazz is over here. Sherry's up here. A couple other people from jail leaders. Let's do this. Let's make it this day, today.